Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the Thrive with the Asbury Seminary podcast. I'm your host, Heidi E. Wilcox, bringing you conversations with authors, thought leaders, and people just like you who are looking to connect where your passion meets the world's deep need. Today on the podcast, we're joined by Dr. Craig Keener, FM and Ada Thompson Professor of Biblical Studies at Asbury Seminary. Dr. Keener joined the seminary faculty in 2011. He has authored 34 books, six of which have won awards in Christianity Today, and altogether he has more than one million copies in circulation. In today's conversation, we talk about his new book, Miracles Today, that answers common questions about miracles and provides compelling evidence for why we should believe in them today. Let's listen. Dr. Keener, thank you so much for once again being on the Thrive with Asbury Seminary podcast. It's always an honor to have you here. So thank you so much for making the time. It's always a privilege to be here with you. Yeah. So today we're here to talk about your latest book, Miracles Today, that answers common questions about miracles and provides compelling evidence as to why we should believe in them today. But a decade ago, in 2011, you wrote, Miracles, the Credibility of the New Testament's Account. It's a two-volume work. So I'm curious, why was it so important to write a book on miracles 10 years ago and then to provide what I will call an abridged version, version since it's one volume, if you will, now? It's, it's not just an abridged volume. It's like 70% of it is new material. Really? Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> There's been a lot, of, a lot of new things, obviously, that have happened around the world since, since 2011. But, uh, you know, there were a lot of people making claims about what the book either proved or didn't prove who hadn't actually read the book, as you could tell from their claims. <laughs> and so um, I thought, you know, 1,100 pages is kind of long, so maybe they didn't want to read all 1,100 pages. So this one is 300 pages. It's easier to read. I didn't use as much philosophic jargon, philosophy of science, philosophy of religion, and so on. So, uh, and and a lot a lot more accounts in the book. And uh, because I because I had to be selective, I focused um, not exclusively, but especially on those where we could have medical documentation, um, and where where that wasn't possible, at least where we had multiple independent witnesses, because sometimes some parts of the world, they don't have access to medical documentation because they don't have access to doctors. That's why they needed a miracle to begin with. So mm-hmm. um, I, yeah, I tried to make this a more uh, helpful and concise book that more people <laughs> could, could make use of. What do you hope readers glean from the book after they, should they be one of the ones who read it? And we hope that they are. <laughs> <laughs> What, what people have shared with me uh, in, in particular has just been how encouraging it has been to their mm-hmm. faith just to see, yeah, the God that we, we say we believe does miracles actually does them uh, because in, in the West sometimes I think we've come to depend on everything else except on God. And it's not wrong that we, we make use of the other things. Those are God's gifts. And since God has given to them to us, we should make use of them, but always remembering that um, God is the one who gave them to us, and that in many parts of the world where people don't have those, God is still showing up on their behalf. Mm-hmm. 
Absolutely. What have you learned? Because you mentioned this book has new material. What have you learned about miracles in the past decade? Well, a lot of there, there have been there have been more cases that have been medically documented. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, there were some that were medically documented before that I didn't know about, but um, more has been published since since 2011. There have been some actual journal articles, more journal articles, with with case studies, and that that has been really uh, very very helpful. And personally, it's really encouraged me to pray for for miracles, knowing that uh, okay, God may not always say yes. Just like you know, when faculty ask something of the administration, they may not always say yes, but <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't hurt to ask, right? right. Anyway, so um, but when we when we know that God actually, you know, he. He does answer prayer, and he doesn't just answer prayer for the people who are like so super confident. You know, some of these like one of my students in New Testament here, um, named Ethan, he was he was praying for for somebody because they asked him to in another country. He was sharing this in the New Testament class, and he really he was like, okay, what's going to happen? Nothing happened the first time, so he said, okay, well we prayed, and they said, no, no, pray again. He, he prayed again, and suddenly the blind person was healed, and he was like, really? And so he starts <laughs> testing it out because he wasn't expecting that. Well, God God sometimes works that way, too. And, yeah. you know, whenever I cover this in, in my New Testament survey class or, you know, in other classes where, where this comes up, where you're dealing with biblical passages about miracles, I'll have, I'll have a student or several students who— who share about miracles that they've they've witnessed? Um, one uh, last semester was a student who uh, prayed for someone who was deaf in a in a train station in New Jersey, and she was instantly completely healed. Wow. So, you know, it's not like all of us see this all the time, mm-hmm. but God is at work all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. One of my questions was, do miracles still happen today? Obviously, you've already given us examples that they do. Can you help us, I guess, see, understand why it's important to believe that miracles can still happen today, that they didn't necessarily end in Bible times, or that they even happened at all? Yeah. Yeah. The book is really more addressing the people who say they didn't happen at all. Mm-hmm. And most people who say that things have ceased don't say that God ceased working. They just say that, but uh, they just say certain gifts have ceased. And I disagree with that, but that's that's a completely different story. That's not what the book is about. But to say, you know, things ended in Bible times, well, who says Bible times have ended? I mean, <laughs> P- Peter says in the day of Pentecost, in the last day, says God, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Well, if it was the last days then, it's certainly not earlier days now. I mean, if anything, it's laster days, to make up <laughs> yes. a new word. So if God was pouring out the Spirit then, God is still pouring out the Spirit, and we still have access to the same living God who did things then. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Augustine, in the, um, in the early 5th century, he 
wrote that he had originally thought that everybody that the apostles prayed for got healed, and everybody who got baptized came up speaking in tongues. That's what he thought. And he said, well, that doesn't happen anymore. Well, I'm not sure that was always even true in the first century, but that's, that's what Augustine thought. But then Augustine said, you know, at one point I thought that we didn't have these things anymore, at least not very often, because he said, I did know about a couple blind men who were healed at Milan. But then he says, but then I found out, wow, these things still are happening. He himself was healed of something. Um, a friend of his was healed of an anal fistula. And then his diocese started collecting affidavits from people who had been healed. And th these included things like healings of blindness, raisings from the dead. And after two years, his diocese had collected 70 affidavits, and he knew other people who hadn't turned theirs in yet. And wow. so, um, so, you know, these things have been happening for, for a long time mm -hmm. uh, th throughout church history, big, big issue in the in the Korean revival of the early 20th century Korean revivals and um, and John Wesley recounts these things as well I mean I think it was 1742 uh, December 15th he reports in his journal so this is at the time it happened the same day <clears throat> Mr. Myrick fell sick so did so did Wesley well 10 days later Myrick died as far as they could tell mm -hmm. And they prayed for him, and he revived and got better. So, um, I mean, in, in Wesley talks about other things like that too. But that's that one is one that he interpreted apparently as a as a raising from the dead. So these, and actually, the late the late second century, Irenaeus, one of the church fathers, writing around the year one eighty, he's he's uh, speaking against the Gnostics, which was you know a group of sects that were. Um, not considered orthodox. Mm -hmm. And he says, look, you Gnostics, you don't have anything on us. You know, you, you, you talk big, but look, where are, your, where are your miracles? Hey, we got this one church up here in France where people get raised from the dead periodically. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, these things have been going on for a long time. Yeah. So before we get too much further, we've talked about some examples, a little bit of examples mm -hmm. of miracles, but I think it's important that we have kind of a working definition of yeah. what a miracle is. And I'm guessing there are maybe more than one definition, <laughs> yes. but what's the definition that we're working from? Yeah, there are lots of definitions. But the probably the dominant definition used by theologians today is special divine action. And the way the way um, we come at that is that, well, everything around us is God's work. So, I mean, you want to define a miracle as God's work. Well, DNA, I mean, you can't get much more <laughs> miraculous than that. And the, the, um, just the way the, the universe is, is set up uh, and the, the world is set up so that human life can exist and you know, any life can exist, but certainly human life. So you have general divine action. But for people who are, like I'm nearsighted physically, for mm -hmm. people who are too myopic, too nearsighted to see the big picture of the universe or the, you know, the microscopic picture of <laughs> DNA and everything else, God also has special divine action. That's something that's not according to the regular, repeated working of nature, the way things God set them up to work, but rather... Um, kind of a one-off here and a one-off there. Mm -hmm. From 
the eyes of somebody who would be a skeptic, they would call that just an anomaly. Mm -hmm. But when you have a pattern of those, not a replicable pattern where it happens all the time, everybody prays, uh, any more than, you know, an event in history or, you know, somebody's personal choices is th th they're necessarily predictable all, all the time. Mm -hmm. But we have um, special divine action in, in a way that gets our attention um, that, that differs from the general divine action. So things that don't usually happen mm -hmm. on their own. Now, that's kind of an amorphous, ambiguous definition in the sense that some things are more special than others. Mm -hmm. But I tried to, to focus in the book especially on the kinds of things that most people would consider special. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I've had somebody tell me, well, look, I, I, I won't believe you unless you have medical documentation. I say, okay, there's medical documentation for this, this, and this. Mm -hmm. And they say, well, I won't believe you unless somebody's been raised from the dead. So I give them evidence for that. Mm -hmm. They'll say, okay, well, okay, no, that, that could have happened. I won't believe it unless the Lord writes my name across the sky <laughs> and says, repent. Well, that's not going to happen. I mean, God is not obligated to jump through our hoops. Right. But he has given us evidence, and most people would consider something like being raised from the dead with no, um, nothing, nothing wrong with you after being dead for, uh, under clinical conditions for 40 minutes, you know, people would usually consider that pretty extraordinary since after six minutes with no oxygen, irreparable brain damage yes. normally starts in. Yeah. So we have a number of cases like that, and yeah. I think they can be really encouraging to those who want to bolster their faith, and they can get the attention to people who are really open mm -hmm. to exploring faith. Mm -hmm. After you came to know Jesus, was it a struggle for you to then believe in the miraculous? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was converted from atheism. And so, you know, I, I, I brought over some of that skepticism with me into the faith. I, I know they say a lot of times converts are kind of socialized into the faith and gradually get rid of their skepticism. Not me. <laughs> mine, was, mine was pretty sudden, and I still had a lot of a lot of questions and you know I was I was at a uh, some some things dramatically happened you know be, God was real but after a while you know I guess my skepticism kicked in and then I saw some things like in my church they were praying for somebody with uh, back problems and you know I know you can you can manipulate the legs in such a way it looks like one grew out but they were just holding both legs together and one just shot out visibly without anybody moving it. Wow. And that, that got my attention. And then, <laughs> yes. and then, and then there was another case uh, the, same, the same night when they prayed for somebody who was deaf. And I was talking with her afterwards and she was like, I wish I could hear. And all of a sudden I noticed that she didn't have her hearing aid in. She, she hadn't noticed it. <laughs> but anyway, those things got my attention at the beginning. And then there were times when we prayed for people. Um, there was uh, one lady who had a cyst in her ear and her kidneys had failed, mm -hmm. and she was healed of both. And then there were other times early on. Uh, one, one of them, I, I helped with a nursing home Bible study, mm -hmm. and this was like 
a couple years after my conversion. And there was a lady named Barbara who every, every week said, I wish I could walk, I wish I could walk. And one day the, the Bible study leader, who was a seminary student, and by the way, I do not advise my seminary students to do this. <laughs> this like I said, this is a one-off. This is just something God led him to do. But he got up out of his seat, walked over to her, said, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk, took her by the hand, walked her around the room, and... If faith is a bias, I can't be accused of it in this case because I thought she was going to fall flat on the floor. Mm -hmm. And looking at the expression on her face, you know, if you say it was psychosomatic, well, it wasn't her psycho because <laughs> she was she was clearly not expecting it. I mean, she looked as horrified as I felt. But from then on, she would walk to the Bible study and say, I love my Bible study, I love my Bible study. Yeah. And, you know, another case, this was when I first began my teaching career. I had been teaching maybe a couple years at this point. I was teaching at a seminary that was attached to a, um, a, a college. And the, at the, you know, we, there, there was another college that was joining us, a, a campus ministry mm -hmm. group, to do um, outreach on this college campus. But the day that we'd scheduled it for, it was pouring down rain. And it was scheduled to pour down rain all day long. You know, we were drenched, and 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 the um, a, bio, a sophomore biology major said, "Well, let's pray that the rain will stop." I thought, "Well, it can't hurt." We joined hands and prayed. As soon as she said, "Amen," the rain stopped, and after a few minutes, the sun came out. It didn't rain another drop the rest of that day. Now you can say that's coincidence, but you know, from a standpoint of um, where you see these things happen, especially in terms of outreach, and, I, and I've seen other things, mm -hmm. but those are just some of the things early on, just to say, mm -hmm. I, I've, you know, I, I have some reasons for what I believe yeah. about these things. Yeah, definitely. I'm curious about the role of faith when mm -hmm. we pray for a miracle, because you said that this that the woman who then was able to walk was and you even were very surprised when the yeah. miracle happened and there's been other people that I've heard about that they're I don't want to say just going through the motions but kind of that if you will saying the words but not really believing in God honoring that so yeah. how do we how do we pray for a miracle and what is the role of faith in yeah. that yeah in Acts chapter 12 after James the brother of John was executed it says that the church was praying that Peter would be spared. And after an angel delivers Peter and he shows up and knocks on the, <laughs> on the door yes. at the prayer meeting, they're like, that can't be Peter. Oh, no, it's his ghost, maybe. <laughs> you know, so um, sometimes God does that. I think he does it probably more often where there's, where there's uh, more, a greater expression of faith, but um, sometimes to teach us faith. But you see in the Gospels often, you know, your faith has made you made you well. That may be partly because Jesus doesn't want people. Um, he doesn't. He's trying to keep down uh, the paparazzi who are following him around <laughs> right. all over the place. But uh, at the same time, you also have like the the case in Mark four. I think it's uh, thirty five to forty one, where you've got this this storm, and. Uh, and the disciples are like, 
Lord, don't you care? We're perishing. And they wake him up, and he stills the storm, and then he turns to them and says, where is your faith? Mm. Well, uh, they weren't the ones with faith in that case. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Jesus, Jesus had faith, obviously. But mm-hmm. So, yeah, there, there are... Uh, an, another example I could give is from uh, Andrea Anderson in Canada. She was, she'd been blind for 12 years mm-hmm. due to her diabetes. And she, she attended a church service. In this case, it was a Pentecostal church, although I have mm-hmm. stories from all sorts of different mm-hmm. ones. But she was attending this church, and um, the, the preacher was, was walking through the aisle and suddenly stopped where she was. And he said, you spirit of blindness, come out of her. Now, I, I don't know if it was a spirit of, of blindness. It, you know, it looks to me like it's an offshoot of the diabetes. But whatever it was, or maybe, maybe it's a combination, I don't know what it was. But in any case, he said, now look at me. And she's like, I can turn to you, but I can't look at you. I'm blind. But she looked at him, and suddenly she could see. And everybody in the church knew her, mm-hmm. knew she was blind. Everybody in the church knew that now mm-hmm. she could see because he called her up front. They demonstrated it. The The pastor of the church uh, where she attends tells me that he still keeps her old white cane in his office because she doesn't need it anymore. Mm-hmm. She still has diabetes, uh-huh. but she was healed of blindness on that occasion, mm-hmm. and everybody there knew it. Yeah. How do we know when to pray for a miracle? Uh, like that, because it seems kind of risky for the other person involved. Say yeah. he would have prayed that prayer and she hadn't been healed. It seems like you could be setting up for yeah. disappointment. How do we know? How do we know when? I think we're. I mean, as long as the person welcomes prayer and wants prayer, I think it's always all right to pray. I mean, we're we're standing with them, mm-hmm. but. Yeah, in his case, he wasn't just praying. He was saying, basically, you, you are healed. Uh, you better have a word from the Lord, a very <laughs> clear word from the Lord. It's just like when, when Don took Barbara by the hand, lifted her from the wheelchair. If he hadn't been right, that would have been disastrous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but it never hurts to, to pray. It, it, it does happen more often when people pray than when people don't. Yes, <laughs> that is true. Before we get into what you've called the heart of the book, I want to ask you for a couple of examples of miracles that you personally have experienced. Oh, I just gave you some of those. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I could, oh, oh, actually, I could, give you, I could give you some other ones. These aren't the big ones. I mean, the book talks, well, big ones. The book talks about the more dramatic ones, mainly. But yeah, there's, there's some I've experienced. I mean, for a, I, I broke my, my ankle. Yes, that's what I meant. Like, not oh, that you've just witnessed, like, oh, other people yeah, but yeah. Have, have happened to yeah. you. Yeah, there was a time when I, I'm pretty sure I broke my ankle because it didn't heal right. Uh, mm-hmm. So I didn't have any money. I couldn't go to a doctor. So um, it was a seminary student. <laughs> <laughs> And so for two years, I, I, I just limped. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I could, I'd always run before that, but at this point, um, you know, I could, I could walk, but if I, if I tried to do anything faster than that, it would hurt so bad I'd, I'd start limping. So um, one day, just I felt like God's assurance he was going to do it. I prayed and was healed 
the, the next day I was, I was uh, at the seminary. It was on the sixth floor of the building. I ran up six flights of stairs to test out my <laughs> being healed. You know, so things like that I've experienced and, um, you know, other, others, others like that. And then there are things that are not medical, but like the day before I was going to call Duke and tell him I couldn't come to do my Ph.D., because, I, I, you know, I had a dollar. It wasn't enough. Right. No money. <laughs> the Lord provided. Yeah. And actually, when I, when I was, uh, and, and he, you know, it was the day before. So mm-hmm. if, if God hadn't acted on that point, I wouldn't be here talking to you. I would be working in a department store. Nothing wrong with working in a department store, but <laughs> I wouldn't right. be doing what I'm doing. And then um, the day that, yeah, um, when I when I was about to, actually, when I finished my PhD, well, anyway, let let's say let's save it for the, um, the 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 other stories. I don't know how much time we have. I don't want to waste time with my own little stories. You're, but. you're fine. You're fine. <laughs> um, in your book, you talk about, well, the Bible says, and you are referencing the Bible in your mm-hmm. book, yeah. um, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. Can you give us examples? You've already given us some. Can you give mm-hmm. us examples for each of those categories? Oh, sure. So for blindness being healed, there was a, a medical journal article actually done about a case study. This woman also had been blind for 12 years. Um, not, n- not the same woman as the one I talked about before, though. She was blind for different, different reasons. I think uh, it was related to macular degeneration or something like that. I need to go back and reread the article. But um, she, she and her husband were Baptists in this case. They had never seen a miracle. It wasn't that they didn't believe in one, but... Um, but she was just wishing she could see so much, and her husband just in anguish, she just prayed, God, please open her eyes. And suddenly she could see. And the the journal article includes the before and after medical documentation. And this wasn't just temporary. This was decades ago, and but they have all the documentation in that case. There's a, another case of, uh, and this one was in the U.S., uh, but also another case from the U.S., Greg Spencer. He was going blind from macular degeneration. He'd already gotten on disability. He'd already been through training for the blind, so you know, to be able to mm-hmm. read Braille or, or mm-hmm. whatever. And um, he was at a retreat for the healing of the mind. And God healed his mind but gave him a bonus on top of it. When he opened his eyes, he could see. Wow. and. The, the only problem was, and this is actually why we have the medical documentation, because most people don't know how to get it, but um, he, uh, he had to get it because the Social Security Administration said, well, you were, you've been on disability, and macular degeneration doesn't undegenerate, so we're going to investigate you for fraud. <laughs> and so for a year they checked into it, but they had all the documents, and all the documents said... I mean, the documents were clear. And so finally, after a year of investigation, he receives a letter from the Social Security Administration saying, you've received a remarkable return of your visual acuity. You were no longer qualified for disability. So downside to everything, you have to go back to work. <laughs> He's like, I've been trying to tell you this for yeah, a year. <laughs> exactly. Oh, oh there was a, there, there's a, actually a, a newspaper article in the U.K., 
uh, where uh, a news outlet was complaining mm -hmm. uh, about government waste, and they gave the example of somebody who uh, w was, you know, she she was never supposed to be able to walk again, and she went to um, a healing meeting where somebody prayed for her. She came back completely healed, said, okay, I need to get off disability, and the government couldn't take her off disability because there was it was supposed to be incurable, and so... You know, the computer didn't know how to compute that. It just, you no, know, you can't be taken off this. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Yeah. Um, uh, UK, in this case, United Kingdom, not University, University of Kentucky. Kentucky. Yes, yeah. I was tracking with you. Um, so that, we're, we've done the blind, the lame walking, uh, lepers cleansed, and then the deaf oh, hearing. Actually, that wasn't meant to be my, my example of the oh, okay. disabled walking. Okay. I was going to, uh, that was just, that was just, um, that, that just, just occurred to me because, yeah, and, and I could think of some other ones too. But, yeah, in the case of the disabled walking, one of my favorite is is uh, somebody else coincidentally named Barbara, mm -hmm. um, and this one actually made a lot of news back when it back when it happened. But um, Barbara had been deteriorating physically mm -hmm. from a severe case of multiple sclerosis for about 15 years, and she'd spent about half that time in the hospital, but this time they sent her home, and it was just, you know, to try to keep her comfortable. Mm -hmm. They said she won't be back here, mm -hmm. and they'd already agreed to, you know, not try to resuscitate. She was, in her words, curled up like a pretzel. She'd gone blind. Her diaphragm didn't work. She was hooked up to a machine to help her to breathe. When she heard a voice saying, my child, rise up and walk. Now, she couldn't move her muscles, but suddenly she jumps out of bed. The first thing she notices is that she sees her feet flat on the ground. Second thing she notices is her hands are uncurled. Third thing she notices is that she can see these things. And, <laughs> and she's you know, shouting out as she's pulling out some of the plugs from her. Uh -huh, <laughs> and uh -huh. and her mother runs in and, you know, and then she starts calling, Dad, Dad, and her dad thinks it's her sister and says, I'll be there in a minute. And so she just runs out to him. And, you know, I mean, normally after you haven't been able to walk for years, your muscles are too yeah. atrophied. It's going to take mm -hmm. you time to build up enough muscle mm -hmm. tone. But in this case, the healing was so dramatic and so complete that she didn't even have, I mean, her muscles weren't even atrophied. Okay. So that she was, she ran out there. Now, I, I corresponded with two of her doctors, mm -hmm. interviewed two of her doctors, and there were also, um, uh, I think, two or three of her doctors also have published on this. Mm -hmm. And this was 1981, wow. so 40 years, no recurrence of multiple sclerosis. Yeah. She she did pass away very sadly recently from COVID. Uh, but she was, you know, in terms of what she was healed from, it mm -hmm. never recurred. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What about leprosy and then <laughs> the, the deaf yeah. hearing? Leprosy, leprosy is a little bit harder one, uh, partly because most parts of the world they don't have uh, leprosy in terms of Hansen's disease. Now, when Jesus was talking about it, it meant any kind of skin condition, oh, okay. which would include uh, my eyebrow here. <laughs> uh, so um, it was, uh, 
a, a wider category in biblical oh, okay. times, but it, it included Hansen's disease. There used to be a debate about that, and then they found some uh, DNA tissue from a, uh, a burial near Jerusalem from the first century, and mm-hmm. the person had leprosy, so, uh, you know, modern mm-hmm. leprosy, Hansen's mm-hmm. disease. But we do have cases of Hansen's disease being cured. Uh, one of them is a case, actually, again, this is from one of my students here. Mm-hmm. Um, he, well, he was here, and then he went to TEDS and did his PhD there. Okay. But when he was, he's, he's from India, and he worked with a, a friend named Bari Malto, now, Bari Malto had been a shaman, but he contracted leprosy, the modern, mm-hmm. you know, what mm-hmm. we mean by that today. He was cast out of his village. Well, then a couple ladies came and prayed for him. He was, uh, nothing happened at the moment, but that night in a dream, an angel touched his hands. He woke up in the morning completely healed, went into the village where he was from. The entire village became Christians. And by the time um, my, my student, uh, Ebi Perrin Barrage, got there, half that region had already become Christians. Wow. Uh, and, and there were other things that happened in the meantime, like mm-hmm. people being raised mm-hmm. from the dead and so on. But then he worked with Barimalto for a number of years. So these weren't people who, who uh, simply started with Christian premises. Mm-hmm. These were people with their own indigenous healing traditions, but who witnessed something so dramatic that they actually were willing to abandon at great social cost centuries of tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, and also uh, one of the visiting scholars here shared with me that when she was a, she was a girl in India, her, her father um, had washed the foot of a leprous man named Selvan, and th- the, uh, the next day Selvan came to them, his, his leprosy was gone. And uh, that that had a big impact in that area yeah. also. Yeah, that's amazing. Do deaf people still hear today? Oh yeah, yeah. No, um, the study I'm about to cite is actually was in the in the first book, mm-hmm. but in Mozambique, there's been a revival in northern Mozambique. There's a lot of persecution going on there mm-hmm. right now too. But um, there were completely unchurched villages where they would go in and sometimes they would they would start they would well they show the Jesus film then they'd pray for the sick uh, sometimes the people would start getting healed before they'd even start praying for oh, them wow. uh, just as God you know reaching out to these people who hadn't heard the message before so that so many people in that in that area were healed of deafness and blindness that <laughs> um, a region that was once mapped out as largely another faith came to be mapped out as largely Christian demographically by the by the government oh, wow. and I mean uh, w- Wendy Dykeman at United Theological Seminary and Anderson Park they were um, they, they they actually visited this on the ground and they saw this um, Wendy mentioned it in Good News magazine they, they went into a village with 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 these people who are going out mm-hmm. and um, witnessed somebody heal the blindness, and Wendy shared with me the next day they, you know, that they started the church in that village. Mm-hmm. That was that was the normal pattern. Well, anyway, uh, Southern Medical Journal published a study on this that was done, 
And um, that was in September of 2010. Some people on the internet complained, well, you don't have ideal testing conditions in rural Mozambique. That's true enough. But something that's not in my 2011 book, because it wasn't published yet, <laughs> in 2012, uh, one of the authors of that study, Candy Gunther Brown of Indiana University, published a book by Har with Harvard University Press called Testing Prayer. And in a chapter in that book, um, she documents you know, what they did in terms of testing these people who went from not being able to see to being able to see, not being able to hear to being able mm -hmm. to hear. Mm -hmm. um, and, and there are a number of other examples. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, one case where the audiologist said, that's not possible, I just tested her. How can she, you know, she had auditory nerve damage. That doesn't just go away. Mm -hmm. uh, but they said, no, she prayed, she was instantly healed. And he's like, yeah, right. And they, he tested it again. He says, I have no explanation for this. Uh, that one was in the U UK. I mean, th there are a number of cases, but yeah. I'm just giving you some examples yeah. here and there. There's, there's plenty yes. more in the book. But these are documented or documented by medical people yeah. or witnessed by a large enough group. Yeah. 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 That's incredible. Are dead people still raised? Oh, uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, one of, one of the ones I mentioned in the book before uh, was the uh, what was shared by a cardiologist in West Palm Beach, mm -hmm. Florida, uh, Dr. Chauncey Crandall prayed for Jeff Markin, who had been flatlined for about 40 minutes. Uh, he prayed for him. They shocked him with a paddle one more time. Well, that, you know, if you're flatlined even for a couple minutes, you know, you're not going to get a normal heartbeat mm -hmm. right away. Mm -hmm. But suddenly he's got a normal heartbeat. This is somebody who was not just dead. He was very obviously dead. His, his uh, face and hands had turned black from cyanosis. Mm -hmm. And so the nurse starts screaming, Dr. Crandall, Dr. Crandall, what have you done? Like Frankenstein's monster. Because mm -hmm. again, six minutes with no oxygen, right. you've got irreparable brain damage. But uh, it turned out, you know, he doesn't have brain damage. And um, he, he, he hadn't been a believer before, but he became a believer. And so now Jeff Markin and Chauncey Crandall go around and share the testimony. Um, now, the backstory to that is that, like, maybe a year or two before that, Dr. Crandall's own son, Chad, had died of leukemia. Mm -hmm. So they had prayed he wasn't healed, but Dr. Crandall said, you know what, God is worthy of my trust no matter what, mm -hmm. and I'm not going to give up believing that God can do this. And when God led him to pray for this other person, mm -hmm. it happened. And um, But a, a, another example... Um, that I, it wasn't in my earlier book, but it's in this one. Sean George, a consultant physician at Kalgoorlie Hospital in Australia, he suffered a heart attack and then went into full cardiac arrest. <clears throat> this was in an outpatient clinic, but so his friends from Kalgoorlie Hospital mm -hmm. were, you know, coming to try to get to him. But by the time they get to him, uh, and his wife was one of them, she was also a physician. He had been uh, clinically dead for about an hour and a half, wow. an hour and 25 minutes. Mm -hmm. And so they get there, and they, they said to his wife, and by this time it's like an hour and 55 minutes, almost mm -hmm. two hours, uh, his wife, Sherry, Sherry uh, Jacob, uh, just say your goodbye to him because there's nothing more we can do. Mm -hmm. And instead she just cried out to God, and again, we know this doesn't always happen, but 
again, this was more than six minutes. <laughs> this was close to <laughs> Way two more hours. Than six minutes. Yeah, and all his systems had already shut down. Yeah. S- she just cried out to God, and suddenly the heart monitor sprang to life with a normal heartbeat. And they were like, "Uh oh, this is the worst thing that could happen," because. You know, he's he's already dead. I mean, he's, he's vegetable. What can we? But they did what they could do as physicians. And three days later, so this wasn't instant, but three days later, he wakes up, reads his own chart. <laughs> you know, he's he's back to work. Uh, and th- this is not done in a closet somewhere secretly. I mean, he's a doctor. He knows mm-hmm. how to get medical documentation. He has it posted publicly on his website, in- including the defibrillator logs. I mean, it's it's all there and. Some of his colleagues there were Hindu and Muslim, and they agreed this is a miracle. Wow. No other way yeah. this could happen. Yeah. So it seems kind of obvious how we can kind of check that miracles are true happening today now because there's medical journals like you've mm-hmm. given examples from. Sometimes there's a big enough group of people who see the results, yeah. and you know it's true. Um but not, but not always. I don't want to say right. not always. No, there, there's um, some, there's some that are more ambiguous. We can say yes be, between whether it's general divine action or special divine action. We give thanks either way. We yes. pray. We 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 count it an answer to prayer either way. But yeah. um, I mean, medicine is God's gift. Doctors are God's gift. You know, <laughs> medical technology is God's gift. We yeah. we thank God for all of that. Uh, but sometimes it's like God seems to be sending a special message. Mm-hmm. And it seems to happen most often, like in Mozambique, mm-hmm. where they say, like in that one region, they, they estimate somewhere around 90% of the deaf people there have been healed. And they still have programs for those who haven't been. I mean, they're still trying to serve them every way they yes. can. But on the cutting edge of evangelism, those are the kind of circumstances you have in the Gospels and Acts. Mm-hmm. Those are where it seems to happen most dramatically, most often. Yeah. How do we know that those miracles are true? How do we fact check them, if you will, yeah. um, to know that they're true? Because none of us were there. Well, that's uh, the, the the example I gave you from Mozambique. Actually, the medical journal, the uh, the chapter in that book, uh-huh. and then you know Wendy and Anderson Park, who were you know witnesses of that, and I have other friends. Oh yes. Oh, PhD yes. friends who are witnesses of it. They invited me to come, but I. I've been a lot of places. I haven't been there yet, <laughs> I so I, I got I got things from other places. But um, in fact, in fact, when I was in Congo, I got eyewitness accounts. But in terms of eyewitnesses, you know, it's like if there's a traffic accident and the police officer is interviewing witnesses, and somebody comes up and says, "Well, don't listen to them. That's not what happened," and the officer says, "Well, uh, tell me what you saw happen." And the person says, I didn't see anything happen. That's why I know it didn't happen. I, I wasn't there. Normally, we're not going to take that very seriously. Right, right. Why would we do that? I mean, my, my area of focus, where, where my scholarship mm-hmm. is, is more in the primary sources, is in historiography. Mm-hmm. And in historiography, we could not do it without eyewitness material. We don't have enough artifacts mm-hmm. from the first century to, to just do it from artifacts. In, in law, journalism, sociology, anthropology, historiography, in all those areas, you have to be able to depend on, on witnesses. Mm-hmm. They're not always right, but when you have multiple independent witnesses mm-hmm. and where you can check it, you know, and where, where enough of the information proves to be correct where you can check it, 
then the burden of proof is on, on somebody who's being skeptical of it. <laughs> so is that the multiple sources? Is that how we can kind of prove that biblical miracles actually happened as they, as they say? Uh, prove is different from give evidence for. Give evidence so, for. Yeah, we'll go with yeah, give yeah, evidence yeah. for. Um, yeah, we, the main reason for skepticism historically about the Gospels mm-hmm. and Acts was that they include miracle accounts, like one-third of, of Mark's mm-hmm. Gospel yes. or one-fifth of the Book of Acts. So, and the, and the main reason for disputing miracle accounts was, this goes back to an uh, 18th century Scottish philosopher, David Hume, who didn't believe you would have credible eyewitness accounts. And if you actually read his essay, instead of just depending on Hume's reputation, his argument is really bad. I mean, <laughs> philosophers, there have been a number of uh, philosophers who published refutations of it, including one published by Oxford University Press called Hume's Abject Failure, mm-hmm. his argument for miracles. And somebody said, how can you call it that? Of course, most authors, we don't get to name the books anyway, but how can you, how can you call it that? You're just, you have a Christian bias. And he said, I'm actually not a Christian. I just thought it was a really bad argument. But um, the first part of Hume's argument is uh, miracles are violations of natural law. Natural law can't be violated. Therefore, so he defines two things, and then by, by fiat of the way he defines them, says miracles can happen. The way he defines natural law doesn't fit the way it's defined today, or even the way Newton and others on whom he depends defined it back then, because they believed in biblical miracles. But anyway, the second part of his essay is all about how you can't trust eyewitness mm-hmm. accounts from miracles. And he says, okay, you can't trust anything from people who aren't white. So a little bit of racism. That, well, actually, Hume was an out-and-out racist, but... Uh, and then, and then there were there were other other things, you know. By the time he he's excluding people, well, finally he gets down. He's got he's got this example from um, Pascal's niece uh, in the 1600s. Pascal's niece had a running eyesore, emitted a foul odor, and everybody knew about it. But she was publicly and instantly healed mm-hmm. um, at a at a contact point of faith. The Queen Mother of France sent her own physician to check it out. So Hume says, okay, this is medically documented. This is attested by multiple witnesses. It was public. In other words, everything he, he demands that you have to have for it to be a miracle, how does he address that? He simply says, and we know this didn't happen, so why would we believe anything else? And then moves on. Wow. Yeah. And so, <laughs> I mean, but that's the prejudice that informed, like, um, David Friedrich Strauss, who was a New Testament scholar, said miracles, you know, miracles don't happen, so uh, any, any miracle accounts that can't be explained psychosomatically uh, in the Gospels and Acts must be due to um, legendary accretion over the process of many generations. And yet Strauss himself had a friend by the name of Edward Morica, and Morica spent time visiting German Lutheran pastor Johann Christoph Blumhardt in the Black Forest region of Germany, who was known for his ministry of healing and exorcism in the, in the mid-1800s. And Morica 
next time that um, Strauss hears from him, Morica is hiking in the mountains. And so Strauss says, okay, this must have been, his medically diagnosed spinal problem must have just been psychosomatic. But what he can't do is say that it was merely a legend that arose over generations of time. Mm. Strauss cannot be consistent with his own methodology. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the same with, you know, some other scholars. I won't bore you with all those details. <laughs> but once you remove the prejudice against the possibility of miracles, mm -hmm. then we should approach these documents the way we would approach other, uh, other full-length biographies of, of figures from living memory from the early Roman Empire, mm -hmm. because biographies of figures from the early Roman Empire were information-based. They were not novelistic. Mm -hmm. I mean, they, they'd evolved beyond what protobiography had been a few centuries earlier, and they hadn't descended into hagiography of late antiquity. And this is the, this is the historical apex mm -hmm. of ancient biography. And, you know, when they're talking about events within living memory within the past generation or two, usually living memory is defined as, uh, or oral history is defined mm -hmm. as the position uh, 60 to 80 years. So, I mean, all four first century gospels fit that for, for Jesus' ministry. So we have good reason to take these accounts very seriously. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. How do we start paying attention to miracles when they happen today so that we can, I don't even know if it's important to determine this, but sometimes I struggle with this. Is it a miracle or did it just happen? Well, that's where I say we can give God thanks, whether it's special <laughs> divine action or general divine action, you know, but in terms of if you're trying to document something is a miracle for people who are more skeptical, you know, then you want to get the medical documentation and mm -hmm. so on, mm -hmm. uh, if possible. I mean, sometimes it's not possible. Again, there mm -hmm. are parts of the world where you can't get it. Mm -hmm. And I had trouble getting some of my own. <laughs> uh, but anyway, we also, um, but we do have this tendency in the, in the West, mm -hmm. I think, uh, partly because of the legacy of Hume, the posthumous <laughs> legacy, so to speak, a little humor. But uh -huh. anyway, we have this legacy from Hume um, and just, I think, from our dependence on the gifts God has given us, where we, sometimes we don't recognize the things when they happen. Mm -hmm. And and also we, sometimes we don't have, <laughs> we don't have a whole lot of faith. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. And we want to recognize what God does and give God thanks for that. And again, whether it's general or special divine action, I mean, I think there's enough evidence. Personally, I've, I'm convinced, haven't always been this way, but you know, in recent years I've become convinced we have enough evidence from general divine action in nature to see that God is God. You know, he often works through intermediate means. You know, I won't get into all the, you know, the you know, arguments about that, but... Um, when, when Jesus fed the, the 4,000, he fed the 5,000, those were both emergency circumstances mm -hmm. so people could have a meal. Yeah. But in each case, he told the disciples to gather up the fragments that remain. Mm -hmm. They weren't going to need a miracle for the next meal. So mm -hmm. we, we pray for our daily bread. We thank God for providing it, whether he does it because we 
got a job, right. <laughs> or he does it because somebody lent us some food, or he does it because you know uh, we grew it, or mm-hmm. he he does it because he multiplied it. I I, have, I didn't even talk about nature miracles. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but I mean we have examples of that. The uh, Anglican, the the uh, former Anglican bishop of the Horn of Africa, um, who uh, is is from Canada, and he teaches at a seminary now in the U.S. He he shared with me um, a miracle of multiplied food that that he he was there when it happened mm-hmm. and and witnessed. Uh, I mean, it was his food, right. <laughs> uh, you know, his his uh, you know the food that they had there on site and many. Uh, yeah, I could give a lot of other accounts. In fact, two of my doctoral students here, uh, one of them, Kevin Burr, mm-hmm. uh, a Church of Church of Christ minister, mm-hmm. he and and uh, four other uh, friends, Church of Christ friends, were coming back from a Church of Christ conference to Harding University when they were caught in a severe storm, hailstorm, where the the hailstones were so big, one of them smashed the windshield, wow. and uh, you know, softball size and baseball size, mm-hmm. and. They, they pulled in under an overhang, but now the, the hail started flying horizontally, oh, wow. which is characteristic of an F4 tornado. And I looked at the date that he gave me and checked online, and yes, there were F4 tornadoes sighted in that area at mm-hmm. that time. He cries out at the top of his lungs, God, help us! Suddenly mm-hmm. the hailstorm stops, the sun comes out, and they actually took a picture of it, and I got the account from him and all the others. Uh, he's, he, he was my former doctoral student. He's got his PhD now. Mm-hmm. And then uh, one of our Hebrew Bible PhD students this past semester in class shared the, the stilling of a storm account that he witnessed with, um, um, actually he was in, in Fiji at the time, he was in a boat, and they were caught at the edge of a cyclone. And it was, you know, they were, they were all really scared, and the, and the captain signaled to this uh, teenage uh, young lady in the back uh, who had a Christian T-shirt on? You know, get up here, pray. <laughs> <laughs> she she came up to the front, got down on her knees, and prayed. And suddenly the storm stopped. And I think the the uh, maybe the the moral in that story is, if you're going to wear a Christian T-shirt, be ready to pray. That's true. <laughs> That's true. And it's God. It's it's God who has to do the work, but we can at least pray. Yeah, yeah. As you said, He's more likely to. We're more likely to receive a miracle <laughs> when we ask than when not. Yeah. But what do we do when we pray and we don't receive a miracle? Yes, yeah, and I and I deal with this in the book too, and go through examples in the Bible of this as well. Um, and what we need to keep in mind is, and, and this is where I also I give the example of Chauncey Crandall when his son died mm-hmm. of leukemia, uh, to be willing to have enough faith that you can keep praying because. It's not just faith, like, I'll see a miracle. It's like faith to keep trusting that God does miracles even when you don't see it. I mean, mm-hmm. Medine and I, uh, I don't remember if we said this. We may have said this when you interviewed us before, but we went through a series of miscarriages because mm-hmm. uh, of our age. And, uh, yeah, you know, it's it's painful. Mm-hmm. Uh and of course, with my 
uh, in class, I'll, I'll joke, you know, when I talk about miracles. Now, this doesn't, we're not saying that every prayer you pray will always get answered. You can look at me, you see I, I wear glasses, I have male pattern balding, and my students think there's some other things wrong with my head. <laughs> but, um, but whenever God does a miracle for anybody, and, and that's why I think it's helpful to, to share these testimonies, whenever God does a miracle for anybody, it's not a gift only to that person. It's a gift to all of us because it's a reminder that there's coming a day when God's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes and there's going to be no more sickness. There's going to be no more death. Obviously, death is still in the world and great... Um, 1800s heroes of the faith like Hudson Taylor and George Mueller and so on are no longer with us, or the founders of Asbury Seminary are no longer with us because those things are still are still in the world. When Jesus was giving signs of the kingdom, these were not, no healing is permanent in the sense in this life. Mm -hmm. Lazarus was raised from the dead, but he would die again. Mm -hmm. uh, Quadratus, a bishop in the early second century, says that some of those Jesus raised from the dead lived on into my own time. But, you know, you don't have anybody saying that in the late second century or third century. You know, the first century people raised from the dead are still alive. And the signs of the kingdom are just that. Mm -hmm. they, you know, on the cutting edge of evangelism, you see more of them in the circumstances like what you have in the Gospels and Acts. And their purpose is to point to the kingdom, mm -hmm. to remind us that there is coming a day when God will give us resurrection bodies and mm -hmm. all this will be taken care of. Suffering will be, will be ended, mm -hmm. death will be ended. Until that time, these signs of the kingdom are reminders to us of what God cares about. Mm -hmm. He cares about people's health. Mm -hmm. He cares about people's safety cares about people's hunger. And when we pray and God does a miracle, we praise him for it. Mm -hmm. When we pray and God doesn't do a miracle, we do whatever we can to take care of those same issues of hunger mm -hmm. and health care and so on. Yeah. That's a lot to think about, Dr. Keener, because it's, it's easy, of course, when we receive the miracle. It's, I mm -hmm. think it takes more faith. Maybe when we don't. Yeah. Yeah. We have one question that we wrap up the show with. But before we do, is there anything else you'd like to talk about that we haven't already? Uh, oh, my previous podcast with Medine. Yes. Medine is lovely. Medine's my wife. Uh, for <laughs> anybody who didn't hear the previous podcast. So. Yes, we'll link to that in the <laughs> show notes. Because the show is called the Thrive with Asbury Seminary Podcast, what is one practice that is helping you thrive in your life right now? Mm -hmm. Just recognizing God's presence and cultivating that through prayer. Last, last night I had a dream where... Um, actually, I had in, a, in a dream last night... Th this is just fresh on my mind because it was just last night, but... Uh, I, I, I was walking downtown, uh, and there were a bunch of students from, uh, I think, the, maybe the seminary and the university, anyway, people praying for revival, and they were praying right there in the street, and I stopped and joined them. Oh, and I felt the Spirit's presence, and God started speaking to me. It was just, 
I love dreams like that, but that, that was um, just an encouragement to us to pray for our community uh, here at Asbury and wherever we are. Yeah. Um, God does hear us. Um, one, one, you know, Matthew 7, 7 to 13, Jesus says, ask, seek, and knock. Ask for good gifts. Your, your Father will give you good gifts. Of course, he knows what's good better than we do, but... Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> there were some things even in the Gospels where the disciples asked for some things and Jesus wisely, graciously did not give them what mm-hmm, they were asking for. Mm-hmm. But in, in Luke 11, it narrows that down to a particular good gift that, that God will never say no to. Mm-hmm. Ask, seek, knock. If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the best gift, the gift of himself, the gift of the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Mm-hmm. We see in the book of Acts people praying, and then you have the day of Pentecost. People praying in Acts 4, then they're filled with the Spirit again. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And you have this pattern. So, I mean, let it look the way God wants it to look like. We, you know, we don't, we don't determine that. It doesn't always have to look the same. Uh, revival or or whatever we want to call it, but wow, let's let's open our hearts to whatever God wants to do in our lives. Let's mm-hmm. pray for that and welcome that. And when it happens, <laughs> whether it's the way we expected it or more often it's some other way, mm-hmm. <laughs> just to show us, wow, this is even better <laughs> often, let's remember to, to praise him because mm-hmm. these are just signs of his gracious love for us the things he cares about. Yeah. Thank you, Dr. Keener. Thank you for sharing these accounts and for the reminder to look for miracles in our everyday life and not to overlook them should they not look like what what we expect. Yeah. So thank you so much for your time today. It's been an absolute joy to get to talk to you. It's, it's been my joy, too. Hey everyone, thank you so much for joining me for today's conversation with Dr. Keener. I hope you found this conversation thought-provoking, encouraging, and inspiring to your faith. If you see Dr. Keener, be sure to thank him for being on the podcast. We are so grateful to him for his work and for sharing his time and what he has learned with us. As always, you can follow Asbury Seminary in all the places on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at at Asbury Seminary. Until next time, I hope you'll go do something that helps you thrive.